Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. Florida's most haunted home has seen more than its fair share of tragedies. Inside the walls of the May Stringer house have been sickness and suffering, untimely deaths of spouses, the enslavement of more than 50 people, and the tragic loss of children who died so young they barely even knew their parents. Some say the spirit of a little girl wanders the house to this day, looking for the mother who died, bringing her into the world. But Brooksville, Florida has seen more tragic events than just at the May Stringer House. The city was founded largely by slaveholders who established plantations there on land taken from the native Seminole tribe under the Indian Removal Act. After the Civil War and the abolition of slavery, the county that Brooksville is a part of became known for its Ku Klux Klan activity. A minister was killed by white supremacists for marrying an interracial couple, and the couple was run out of town. After a woman testified against local men for the crimes, the courthouse was burned down. Today, the Queen Anne-style May Stringer House is a museum of the city and its residents, both the good people who lived happy lives there and those whose legacies are darkened with contemptible actions. 
In the city block the house occupies, its walls hold about 11,000 artifacts representing local history, and those artifacts have stories to tell. Some, it's even believed, have menacing spirits attached to them. One, people say, curses those with whom it comes in contact. I'm Amy Bruni, and this is Haunted Road. Before the pandemic, Brooksville, about 45 miles north of Tampa, was home to Florida's largest Civil War reenactment. For more than 40 years, 1,500 reenactors and their families traveled to the city to recreate the Brooksville Raid, when Union forces arrived in Brooksville to disrupt Confederate supply and communication lines. The city of 9,000 has strong Civil War ties. While white people began settling the area in the 1840s, building homes and establishing plantations with slave labor, Brooksville wasn't established officially until 1856, in years marked by extreme tension over ownership of enslaved people leading up to the war. The city is named after Senator Preston Brooks, who was infamous for beating Charles Sumner with a cane on the Senate floor after the latter gave an anti-slavery speech. According to Tampa Bay history, in the post-Civil War years, Hernando County, which includes Brooksville, was known as a hotbed of Klan activity. Richard Wiggins settled on the land where the May Stringer House now sits in 1842. He settled there under the Armed Occupation Act, which stated that any settler who came to Florida, lived on the land for five years, cultivated five acres, and built a dwelling would be granted 160 acres. The aim of the act was to populate Florida with men who could, if necessary, take up arms against the Seminole people who lived there. From 1835 to 1842, the Second Seminole War raged throughout the area, while President Andrew Jackson was demanding all the Native peoples leave Florida and relocate to Indian Territory. The Seminoles, having already lost much of their land in Florida, fought for what they had left. In 1855, John May built a home on the land. The two-story, four-room wood frame house had a parlor and dining room on the first floor and two bedrooms on the second floor, connected by an outside staircase. It's believed May constructed the home in an unusual way to avoid taxes. A two-story house was taxed more heavily than a one-story home with a loft, which is what the house technically was because the staircase was on the home's exterior. May lived on the family plantation with his wife, Morena, and daughters, Matilda and Anne. According to the city, they're considered one of the four pioneer families of Brooksville. John May was the second largest slave owner in the Brooksville area. According to 1860 tax records, there were 56 enslaved people on that plantation that year. After the Emancipation Proclamation, many of the people enslaved by the family continued to work on the property as paid laborers. John L. May died of tuberculosis in the house in 1858, and his funeral took place in the parlor of the home. Marina May, then only 25, remained in the home with daughters Matilda and Anne, running the plantation by herself. Marina eventually remarried on Christmas Day of 1866 to Frank Saxon. They married in the parlor, the same room John May's funeral had been held eight years earlier. Saxon is described by the Hernando Historic Museum Association as a Confederate hero who fought in the Confederate Army's Florida 3rd Regiment. 
in a unit called the Hernando Wildcats. He was the first soldier wounded in the Battle of Honeymoon near Jacksonville. Altogether, he was wounded five times during the war and captured twice. According to Saxon Manor's history, his major wound was received in the Battle of Terryville, where he was left for dead but recovered in a Union hospital. At the war's surrender, he secretly carried his unit's battle flag back to Brooksville, walking the 787 miles from the hospital to Brooksville. He later donated the flag to the Museum of the Confederacy in Richmond, Virginia, where it is conserved and on display. Frank and Marina's infant son, Franklin Schmidt Saxon, died at the age of five weeks in 1867. Two years later, Marina died shortly after giving birth to a daughter named Jessie May. The cause was given as childbed fever, a post-birth infection. The Saxon family wasn't done with its string of terrible losses. Jessie May died at only three years old, in the same room where her mother and her brother had passed away. In 1877, Frank was implicated, although never charged, in the murder of a local reverend. A man who was formerly enslaved by the May family, Reverend Arthur St. Clair, rose to local prominence in his freedom. According to the Tampa Bay Times, he was a Baptist minister, community activist, and three-time Republican candidate for the state legislature. He also served as a voter registrar, deputy sheriff, county commissioner, captain in the state militia, and delegate to the 1876 Republican State Convention. On May 6, 1877, St. Clair officiated a marriage between an interracial couple, David James, who was black, and Lizzie Day, who was white. The next day, the Tampa Bay Times reported, a group of white men that included Frank Saxon and the county judge went to the home of the couple to warn them of impending danger. Believing the visitors intended to harm the couple, neighbors opened fire. As a result, James was wounded and neighbor Coles Feaster was killed. Three of the four white men were wounded. The social climate of the day has been characterized by the newspaper as lawless because of actions like City Judge William Center reinforcing the message of what was almost certainly not intended as a harmless visit when he returned to the couple the next day, telling them that the visit of the previous evening had been strictly out of concern for their safety. Center also told them that they would be safe until James's wounds healed and they could leave town. They moved to Tampa. About six weeks later, on June 26, 1877, Reverend St. Clair and several others were returning from a political meeting when they were surrounded by a group of 20 men, which included Saxon. The men shot and killed St. Clair, along with another man. A woman who was traveling with them, Mary Turner, afraid for her safety, initially told an inquest that she could not identify any of the 20 men who accosted them. However, she later recanted this testimony, stating that she had feared for her life at the inquest because many of those on the jury had been perpetrators of the crime. At that time, she did identify many of the men at the murder and testified that George Cross was the shooter. Among the men she named was Frank Saxon. As the Tampa Bay Times wrote, a resolution passed later at a meeting in Brooksville chiding the editors of the Sunland Tribune and the Ocala Banner for printing the false statements of Mary Turner. The Tampa Guardian, edited by James T. Magby, had refused to publish the resolution, claiming that it was full of damn lies. Many of the signers of the resolution were either related to or business partners of those thought to be implicated in the shooting. Early in the morning of September 29, 1877, 
The courthouse, containing Mary Turner's sworn statements and other documents relating to the trial, burned down. One contemporary newspaper reported that the walls of the building had been doused in kerosene. As the Hernando Sun reported, there were at least 10 Florida courthouse fires around the time of the Hernando courthouse fire, most of these fires directly attributable to arson. Because of the fire, no one was ever indicted for the murder of Arthur St. Clair. This fire, which incinerated most of the county records, also destroyed many records related to the May Stringer house, including any record of why Jesse May Saxon died. Saxon sold the house and in 1885, it was purchased by Dr. Sheldon Stringer Sr. He turned the home into the grand manor it is today, adding 10 rooms across four stories and a tower and wraparound porch. The house is gray with white trim and green and white accents on gingerbread trim, an example of late 1800s painted lady Victorian architecture. Stringer was a fan of Nathaniel Hawthorne's novel House of the Seven Gables, adding four more to the home to give it a total of seven. The doctor lived in the home and also used it for his medical practice. During this time, some say that it functioned as something of a sanatorium to patients suffering yellow fever and smallpox, although this claim appears to be unsubstantiated by the historical records. Dr. Stringer died in April 1903 at age 68 after an unidentified illness. His son, Dr. Sheldon Stringer Jr., took over and ran the practice for several years. Frank Saxon died in February 1922 at the age of 81. Saxon isn't buried on the property of the May Stringer House, but many other members of the May and Saxon families are, including John L. May, Morena, Jesse May, and an infant son of John and Morena. There are also an unknown number of enslaved people buried on the property. In 1950, Dr. Stringer's granddaughter, Betty, sold the home, and it became a rental property that, as David Lapham wrote in Ghost Hunting Florida, then was abandoned and suffered heavy damage from vagrants. The house became a museum in the early 1980s after it was condemned. The community raised money to restore it. The May Stringer House was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1997. The first floor of the home has Dr. Stringer's office, as well as the parlor, dining room, and kitchen. A post-mortem photograph of Jesse May Saxon hangs on the wall in the parlor, the only known photograph of the child, showing her in a crib surrounded by a floral wreath. On the second floor, there are bedrooms on either side of a central hallway and another wraparound porch. The museum also has an attic, which is currently used as storage for items not on display in the museum. According to the Hernando Historic Museum Association, the museum comprises exhibit rooms with a Victorian look, with rooms devoted to specific themes such as elegant dining room, Victorian bedrooms, military room, an 1880s doctor's office, and a 1900s communication room, which features some of Florida's earliest telephones. A lot of the communication people report experiencing, though, is from spirits of the departed. The Tampa Bay Times says the May Stringer House is said to be Florida's most haunted home. Over 80 ghost hunting groups have investigated the house over the years. One museum docent, Bonnie Latorno, describes the house as being like Grand Central Station for ghosts.
Footsteps, cold spots, and voices, including children's laughter, have been reported throughout the house. People say they've seen a mysterious black mist at the home, and shadows have been said to move. Some say they smell the scent of phantom food in the dining room. After the house is locked up for the night, staff say they've seen lights go back on inside. Others have seen what they describe as glowing orbs of light in the home. According to reports, there are at least 11 separate spirits who have been reported at the May Stringer house. Some say they've experienced the ghost of Morena May Saxon. Others believe they've heard Jessie May crying for her long-lost mother. As Greg Jenkins wrote in Florida's Ghostly Legends and Haunted Folklore, although she never knew her mother, Jessie May was said to have missed her so terribly that she would wake up in the middle of the night and walk around the house crying out for her. Some believe that when she got sick, she willed herself to die in order to find her lost mom. Many people have reported a disembodied voice saying, Mama, Mama. Jessie May is said to be protective of her toys and dolls. People say that if they've been moved by the docents, her toys will show up in odd places, especially a baby doll in a crib. Possibly Jessie May or the ghost of another little girl has been known to rearrange teacups. One year, docents were setting up for a Mother's Day celebration and set out several teacups. When they returned to the house the following day, another teacup had been added to the table. As T.C. Cottrell described in Ghostly Encounters, this has happened for several days before it was discovered that the cups were being moved from the china cabinet by unexplained hands each night. Some believe Jessie wanted to add extra teacups so perhaps her own mother would have a place at the table. Another spirit known as Mr. Nasty for his angry demeanor and bad behavior is said to curse visitors. He's sometimes said to have been a patient of Dr. Stringer's who suffered a gunshot wound, but some claim he hung himself in the attic of the house after his wife was unfaithful. Mr. Nasty is most commonly reported in the attic and is said to be especially hostile to women who enter the house. Women report being touched and hit by him. Others say that his spirit is attached to an old actor's trunk that was donated to the museum and is located in the attic. Another spirit described as playful and protective, a World War I soldier named James, is said to haunt the property. Some say James was a guest at the home at some point in the past. He's most often encountered in the bedroom above the doctor's office, where it's said that he was staying. One woman who lived in that bedroom when the May Stringer house was a rental property said that she and her sister awoke one night and saw a soldier in a World War I uniform standing at the foot of their bed. James is believed to have been distraught over his love marrying another man, and because of this, he gravitates towards younger women, sometimes even pinching their behinds. It is said that a World War II soldier ghost is also present in the house. He is believed to have been killed in action and is looking for his dog, who survived. This man doesn't have any particular connection to the house itself, but some of his belongings are in the museum today, including his diary of his time in the Canine Corps. A Confederate soldier has also been seen sitting in the old wooden wheelchair in the restored doctor's office. The ghosts of several of Dr. Stringer's patients, believed to have died of smallpox and yellow fever, are also said to be present in the house. Another man is rumored to linger at the house, having been shot and died on the porch before he could reach the doctor. According to Ghost Encounters, some say that this was a drive-by shooting that was committed on horseback. 
And some say they have seen Dr. Stringer himself in the home, who appears on the front stairs of the house wearing a black coat. As Ghost Hunting Florida describes, he doesn't do anything, just stands right below the landing like he was shocked seeing a badly injured patient down in the waiting room. Now, if you watched the episode of Kindred Spirits filmed at the May Stringer house, you're very familiar with our upcoming guest, Autumn Resch. She was visibly emotional due to the paranormal activity she's encountered there over the years, and now is a great chance for an update and to see what activity is going on there today. So that is coming up after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I am now joined by the lovely Autumn Resch, who is the curator for the May Stringer House. And if you watched uh, the episode of my TV show, Kindred Spirits, that we filmed there, you are familiar with Autumn. So thank you for joining me. It's so nice to hear your oh, voice. Oh, thank you for having me. My pleasure. You know, it's funny. I would say that there are certain people that have been featured on Kindred Spirits, so we get asked about a lot. And you are one of them because you were very emotional oh. <laughs> during... Uh, the investigation, definitely very scared to be there, which is hard to do when you're at work. So everyone wants to know, how are you, Autumn? <laughs> I am doing really well. Probably one of the more well-known haunts there is that there is a gentleman in the attic who is definitely uh, grumpy. And it seems like he might be associated with a trunk that is there. And I think our ultimate plan was to kind of infuse the trunk with more positive things so people would write positive letters and happy things and put them in the trunk. Do you think that's kind of alleviated it at all? I think so. They do it every so often. They'll come and they'll leave a note. He, I, I believe, likes the attention. So I, uh -huh. think he's, I think he's much more, much less aggressive, can we say. Yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah, he was. Uh, I, I I investigated up there, and he was very touchy. There was a lot of like pinching. You know, I had I was doing the Estes method with the blindfold, and um, 
I remember Adam getting all like defensive, like he was going to beat up this ghost for <laughs> for pinching us. But um, now is that just kind of going back? Um, I actually learned a lot going through the history for this podcast. Like I learned a lot about the history of the house when we did the investigation. Um, but I learned just some other additional things, just like how heavily investigated the house is. Um I didn't realize that like 80 plus groups have been in there investigating, which I think is super impressive. How do you think that's uh, affected the activity there? That's actually a great question. I have noticed that the activity ramps up when we have a lot of people at the house. We call him Gary, the one in the attic that's associated with the trunk. Gary, he gets he gets a little show offy if a lot of people are there. Um, he believes it's not a dog and pony show. So sometimes sometimes he won't, um, but most of the time he will. I think that multiple groups investigating the house for as long as they have been um, kind of intrigues our residents. So they'll they'll come out and kind of interact, if you will. So I, I think it I think it really uh, supports um, a spiritual environment with with all of the investigation. Right. And I feel like you guys are really good about making sure people are super respectful as well as they investigate, which I think kind of lends to the vibe there overall. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we remember that it's a museum first and foremost. So everybody who comes in is really expected to uh, maintain, you know, certain standards. They have to be respectful to the spirits and they also have to be respectful to the artifacts. Absolutely. And there are a lot of artifacts, something like 11,000, yes. if I remember correctly. Yes, yes. We have a lot of artifacts. <laughs> so one of the neat things when we're investigating is sometimes we're in these locations that are just filled with really cool things. And it's very easy to get distracted in the May Stringer house because everywhere you go, there's something else really cool that you want to look at and you want to tinker with. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But I also thought it kind of made it hard to investigate because you're like, any one of these items could be associated with a haunting. Do you think there's anything else in the house besides the trunk that seems to be, uh, that seems to have any energy attached to it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we have a handful of named spirits and we occasionally get, we call them the transient spirits that come in and out. And we also get new artifacts all the time. And with those artifacts, mm. activity will ramp up. So our theory is that sometimes these artifacts have attachments. Um, the the right. truck is a great example of that. So we didn't have the issues when, or the issues in the attic, rather, prior to having the trunk. And then once we got the trunk, it's we really, really had some ramped up activity. Yeah, and that was the way that kind of, we wanted to make sure it was actually the trunk and uh, we actually dragged the trunk downstairs uh, to see if the activity followed it, and it did. And we've used that quite a few times since. Like, it seems so obvious, and I don't know why we didn't think of it before. Like, to just, if you want to see if an object has some sort of haunting attached to it, just move it somewhere else and see if that same activity happens. <laughs> yeah. Which it did. It sure did. <laughs> when people come visit, even during the day, uh, what kind of activity do they encounter most often? Well, we do history tours during the day and sometimes have some unanticipated bonuses, should we say. Some people are more re receptive to it. Some people don't want anything to do with it. Various things from footsteps to knocking to people being touched. Uh, more recently, we have had a phantom smell that mm. seems to migrate all over the house. It smells like a dead critter. 
So, Oof. yeah, so we had assumed that perhaps maybe a squirrel had gotten into some part of the house and passed away. However, it has been months and it is moving around the house. So we really don't have an explanation, but the day the day shift and a lot of our daytime guests do uh, get to experience that phenomenon. That's unpleasant. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so now speaking of unpleasant phenomena, you sent me an EVP that you captured recently. Um, now, I listen to it and I hear the word bitch. Is someone calling you a bitch? <laughs> that Yes. Um, we're not sure who, who it is. Some think it might be the gentleman associated with the trunk. Others think <laughs> it might be one of our other spirits. But yes, I was in the house moving some artifacts for um, a plaster job that we were having done. And I heard the door of the bathroom jiggling. I was the only person in the house. And for some reason, I got brave and I went to film it. And at the time, I did not hear anything. So the, mm. the door stopped jiggling. Everything stopped. And I went back to my work. Well, that evening, I just happened to watch the video and I had my headphones on and I heard it clear as day. And it, it, I couldn't hear it in person, but he was very prominent afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I heard it. And so I'll go ahead and play that for everyone now. It's interesting that you, know, you were alone in the house, you said? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. And so I'm very proud of you for being alone in the house. Thank you. I know that was hard <laughs> for you for a long time. Yes, ma'am. Uh, uh, and so that's, and you were, you actually were experiencing phenomena. And so then you picked up and started recording, which I tell people to do this a lot, like, cause sometimes you will capture a voice and like, you didn't hear this at the time. So, um, that's super interesting. Um, and now how do you feel like now that when you heard that, were you okay going back to the house after that? Or, you know, this seems like kind of could be a new spirit of some sort, cause the other guy's up in the attic and this is like broad daylight. Yes. I don't know where you were. Yeah. But <laughs> downstairs in the doctor's office. Oh. Yeah. So um, afterwards, after I heard it, I was a little sketchy. I didn't want to go in by myself. So I did have uh, co-workers and my husband and, um, you know, various friends. They usually come and sit with me while I'm doing my work. Uh. We're, we're, we're not sure if this entity is affiliated with a shadow person that we've been seeing frequently downstairs. Hmm. So um, we're kind of just keeping our eyes open, but I don't, I, you know, I'm not in any danger. I don't feel like I would be in any danger. It's just more or less like oh, somebody's watching me and it's a little freaky. So I just want somebody with me. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. So the shadow figure, how often are you experiencing this? Now I have seen him personally um, twice. And pe other people, other docents have also seen him around. And he's usually in the evening time. When I saw mm. him, he was after a board meeting. And I had walked to the front door to make sure it was locked. And I had my cell phone light because we had already shut everything down. And when I got to the foyer, I shined my light towards the door. And he was standing between myself and the door. And <sighs> immediate, immediate shock. <laughs> And of course, I turn around and go straight back to the gift shop. And I got one of my co-workers and we both returned to the front door. And now he was on the stairs. He was not standing between us anymore. So he had moved. Wow. Yes. And we both left. And it's very unusual that this particular co-worker that I was with gets unnerved like that. 
But the minute she saw him and I saw him at the same time, she said, let's get out of here. And as we were heading back to the door, she did turn around and said that he was standing in front of the stairs at that point. So he was moving. That is very uh, creepy. Yes. <laughs> to, say yeah. the, to say the least. Uh, you know, and it's not often that you, he, you know, someone sees a shadow and goes to get someone else and says, this is what I saw. And then you both see it again. You know, many times it's kind of like it's gone at that point. Yeah. But not only did you both see it at the same time, uh, but he definitely was trying to make himself known. Like as you were leaving, he was coming down the stairs. So I, what was the energy like in the room at that time? I Obviously, you feel kind of scared or like somebody's watching you. But what was the vibe overall? Very heavy. He's When he's around, we find that it's it's a little more heavy than usual. I have not seen him upstairs. He's usually downstairs, but definitely a heavy vibe to him. That kind of activity almost seems like he really wants you to know that he's there for yes, some reason. Absolutely. Now, I was reading, and I don't remember if we encountered this there or if we talked about it when we were there. I was reading that sometimes people experience a little girl in the house. Has that is that something you're familiar with? Yes. Yeah. Um, I have heard several guests tell me about the little girl. We think it could be Jessie May. She mm-hmm. was an infant at the time she passed, and she would have passed in the late 1800s from an unknown cause. That being said, there are several children in the house, so it's hard to tell when the little girl is speaking or if one of the other girls are speaking. There's also a little boy, so and he sounds very much like a little girl when he is audible, when you hear him. So the only time I have encountered one of the little ones was, again, in the doctor's office, and I heard him laugh and I, I thought it was potentially a guest who had you know come in the back door but there was nobody besides myself and my co-worker who was another touring docent and she also heard it so mm. we looked around we didn't find anything out of place but it was it was very clear like the like he was standing probably a couple feet away he or she I wasn't sure if we could if it was a little boy or a little girl yeah, I know. Kids kind of tend to sound the same at that age, and it's hard to discern, you know, who what you're hell? talking to. Now, did what would you say is the are the hot spots in the house? Like, obviously, the attic, but it sounds like the doctor's office as well. Are there certain areas that seem to have more activity? Absolutely. There is the second floor landing. That is by far, I'd have to say, the second um, most active area in the house, attic being the first. Jesse May's room is right there. So we have a lot of activity there in Jesse May's room and next door in the communications room. There are uh, several different entities. And some of the docents who have been there a longer time than me can kind of tell them apart when they make themselves known. I'm only able to do it with a couple of them. You uh-huh. know, of course, the spirit with the trunk, Gary, and I can tell if there is another one, James. Um, yeah. he, I can tell if he's there. But that's a very active area. The doctor's office has actually been more active as of late, and we're not sure why. And it was right after the time when I was called a bitch. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Did you guys get any new artifacts in there? Or? Surprisingly, no, because I was thinking he was maybe attributed to an artifact. Um, but we did not have any new artifacts in the doctor's office at that time. We did get a Victrola. Oh, okay. A Victrola around that time. But that was, um, I, I did place that in the parlor. So he could possibly be associated with that, or it could just be one of the the grumpy ones upstairs that's coming down, but we're not 100% sure. Now, is this the same Victrola that you had before, or did you get another one in addition to that? 
it was it's another one in addition to that one. Oh, okay. I do remember that that caused activity when we played that. Um, that definitely changed the kind of feeling of the house overall. There was something about that first Victrola that just really triggered something. I think that just goes for music overall uh, in a lot of investigations. But we, uh, I, I think we were allowed to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm like, wait a minute, did we? Were we not supposed to mess with that? <laughs> You're just fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. That definitely did kind of spike some activity. I mean, that was one of those cases, like if people watch it on TV, that's great. But I don't know that they we were able to kind of convey just how much happened in 43 minutes on television. That's one of the harder parts of being like doing a televised investigation is you can't really get into it. Like one of the most shocking moments for me was when we arrived, you had a lot of trouble with this attic entity uh you personally and you were utterly terrified and we were going up the second floor to talk about it and i think we were trying to avoid going in but as soon as we got up there you were like visibly like nope nope i can feel him i can feel him and like you knew he was there and we were like how how is this possible and we looked and someone like the crew or someone had left the attic door open and you didn't know that you just felt him, which to me is one of the most uh, kind of wild moments that I've had during an investigation that you were so in tune to this presence. You knew he was not in the attic at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. And so, <laughs> uh, so does, do you think he moves around? Like if he, it's funny because when we close the door, he wouldn't. But if you leave the door open, I felt like he was kind of brave. Does he move around the house? He does. He does move around the house. There is uh, something additional up there. We're not exactly sure who he is. So it's hard to tell when either one of them come down, which one it is. But yes, we do believe that he does move around the house. And when he does come down, he gets very close. And I could, I could feel him because he, he almost, he, he touches me. He's very mm-hmm. touchy, like very touchy-feely. Yeah, I think he enjoys that a little bit. And, you know, and I, it's, it's, yes. <laughs> it's hard because... You know, that's one of those things people ask, like, how do you make someone like that move on? And how do you make them leave? And uh, I wish, yeah, I wish it was as simple as waving some sage and being like, be gone, you know? Yeah, (laughs) it doesn't work that way. Uh, You just kind of have to stand your ground and try to kind of counteract them with different energy, which it sounds like you guys are. But um, so do you think that was who that shadow was that you saw that night? You know, I don't think so. And the only reason being is I have never seen Gary. I've uh. never seen him with my eyes. Uh, this one was very, very, very prominent. Um, to the, he made me weak in the knees. That's how much he scared me. Right. But I, I did not get the Gary feeling. Gary's almost... How do I say this? He's, he's mischievous. I don't think he's evil. Mm-hmm. I think he, I think him scaring me, like, he is entertained with that. Right. And that's, we're growing together, him and I, <laughs> because he, he knows now at this point that, you know, he can be saucy and I won't get 100% scared. But yeah, this shadow entity that was down there, he, he definitely scared me to the point of knowing that I think it would be a little step further than what Gary would do. Right. 
I mean, it, there's just something to be said for the unknown in general. Like if you even saw just a stranger, a live person, I, that would probably be scarier. But like any like stranger standing there staring you down in a dark foyer, like that's a scary moment. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yes. shadow figure or not. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so now what about other just kind of things that go on? I read a lot about lights going on and off and doors opening and closing. Like, are these things you guys just deal with on the daily? Oh, yeah. Yes. We sometimes we come in to open up and we will find that artifacts have been moved. We have an like, extensive alarm system. So it, it gets triggered from the inside all the time. Oh. And there, there's nobody inside. So we will find uh, a big one is Jessie Mae's ball. We have a plastic ball that lives under her bed. And we use it for people who come to investigate so they can bring it out. Sometimes we'll find that out in the room. Sometimes we'll find the shoes that are in the master's bedroom. They'll be moved to the middle of the room or moved to a different area. So they're very, they're very prominent there. They, they know that they are the residents and it is their house and they pretty much do what they want. But yes, we'll find lights on all the time, doors shut that weren't shut before, things like that almost daily. Hmm. And now do you think that, so I know that the house kind of sat vacant for a while and, uh, do you think that coming in and kind of renovating it and bringing all these things in, do you think that that made them happy? Or, I mean, I don't know if you could even answer that question, but do you think that that was kind of for the, the, the good of them? Do you think they enjoy that? Yeah. If I had to speculate, I would think that there are a good amount of them that enjoyed that because there are a handful that seem to enjoy just having people in the house. I think the children are probably a big one on that. They they really seem to enjoy having a few of our investigators in there. Um, one in particular, her name is Brooke. But yeah, I, I feel like some of them, uh, it was for the better for them. And some of them are just grumpy altogether. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, there's also a lot of speculation about kind of unmarked graves on the property. Have you yeah. been able to kind of narrow down where those could be? Or have you guys tried to to find them in any way? We we have tried to find them. At the time that they would have been buried, it would have been a 160-acre parcel. Mm. So there's a very good chance that those graves, uh, it would have been the little family plot for the May family. There's a very good chance that those graves are under the street or under a local business, but we have not been able to locate them yet. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's a tough one. You know, it's uh, I live in a, a very old house, a 300-year-old house, and uh, there's a graveyard, a uh, little cemetery family plot, like kind of up in the front yard. And I imagine that if this place had not been saved by a local nonprofit, that that entire family would probably be under someone's house at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. But, you know, that's just how they did things then. There are, I mean, especially like where, we are, where you are is very historic, where I am in New England is very historic. And it's so... We, I grew up in California where this didn't really happen. I mean, obviously we had some like gold rush era graves here and there, but like the okay. fact that there were so many family plots back then, uh, it didn't really occur to me how common that was until I started coming to New England and, the, and going to the South a lot. Oh, yes, definitely. Now, have, have you, uh, has anyone ever just kind of had enough of the house and had to leave other than you? <laughs> <Which I don't laughs> 
<laughs> um, as, which as you far, are definitely a success story. That's why I, I love that you're like comfortable in this space because I felt so bad for you when I first met you. And I've met a few people like that where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I need them to be able to go to work or be in their house and not be afraid. So yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, has anyone kind of just had to, had to leave, had enough, never coming back? We, we have not had docents per se that will do that, but I have had um, two separate touring groups who, who did leave. They didn't finish the tour. One of them was present with me in the attic when my hair picked up mm. and I couldn't feel it because it was in a ponytail. Um, that freaked them out to the point where they did not finish the tour. And then the second guest, it was just her and I, and she was very gung-ho about hearing the spirits. And it was a history tour. So I was like, hey, listen, sister, let's not just, it's just you and me. So let's, <laughs> yeah, let's not call these guys up. But we were up on the second floor landing and she was a little disappointed that she had not had an experience. And as she was telling me this, we heard a whistle plain as day right behind her. Both of us jumped and she took off towards the stairs. So, so of course, I went behind her because we don't want to fall down those old stairs. No. And she did end up leaving that day as well. I, I always wonder why they choose to whistle. Like, I have encountered many a whistling ghost. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, first of all, I can barely understand how they can make voice, like, like the, a disembodied voice, how that can happen. But a whistle is especially kind of, uh, it makes no sense to me how they do it. But they do. And yeah. so that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I think sometimes they, people, you know, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. She's kind exactly. of the perfect example of that. So, um, well, I mean, as always, oops, sorry, I slammed my door. As always, <laughs> uh, I mean, you guys have just a ton of activity. It's, it's kind of out of the way, Brooksville, Florida. It, you know, it's not a, a place that... I think a lot of people were familiar with until they saw this house, this gorgeous home with all this crazy history. Um, so if people do want to visit, like what do they have to do? Well, there are no reservations needed um, during the day for the history tour. Right now for the ghost tour, we're booked out well into next year. So that takes a little bit, but just come on down during our open hours and we will give you a tour. The day tour is totally totally guided by one of our docents and it's a really good time yeah i mean there's a lot to see uh i i really enjoyed my time there and you guys are all lovely i love the care that you uh you all have for that house and and how well you kind of look over your ghosts and your artifacts and make sure the history is told so well done thank you so much yeah. we just we just love it well, uh, thank you for chatting, and hopefully I will come visit you guys again soon. It's definitely on the list of one of my places I want to return to sooner rather than later. So, Awesome. Yeah, just let me know. I'm there all the time. All right. <laughs> thank you so much, Autumn. I appreciate it. Oh, you are welcome. The May Stringer House is such a complicated haunting, one that has to be handled delicately and with utmost respect. It's strange to look at a beautiful mansion and think about all the darkness it has seen. Everything that happened inside its walls, wonderful and terrible. But how fortunate are we, as lovers of history, and those with the longing to never repeat it, that those walls quite literally talk. I suppose it's up to us to listen and learn. 
I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni, with additional research by Taylor Hagedorn and Cassandra De Alba. This show is edited and produced by Rima El-Kayali, with supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Menke, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Learn more about this show over at grimandmild.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.